reading today from the lectionary. That's a word that you won't often hear me say, the word lectionary. But sometimes, as I said last week, the lectionary, the Anglican lectionary, can be quite helpful because it does take you over a period of three years through the whole Bible. And as I was looking um, at, at kind of the, the, the Anglican lectionary as it had been written, there this week and next week, particularly a couple of sections, I just really felt God wanted us to spend a bit of time learning here also at St. Tom's, particularly pressing into again um, the things of the Spirit. You know, life is often about seasons, isn't it? That's the way God's made the world. And often we're in one season and we experience one move of his Spirit, possibly. You know, I was around um, in 1994 when kind of Toronto, whatever, we kind of think of that encounter. Toronto stuff really kicked off um, out in Toronto. It was a real kind of move of God's Spirit and it kind of came back through the Anglican Church into the UK and the Free Church and I was around in Bristol um, some of you here, many of you here know Woodlands Church, before Wood is existed when I was part of Henley's and Westbury Church and God's spirit moved ludicrously in all sorts of powerful ways and kind of turned us, uh, our, our meetings, our church upside down um, I remember having to be carried home by two of the pastors from one meeting one Sunday night I couldn't stand, I couldn't walk I was prophesying as cars drove past up the road, it was just madness drove my wife insane I couldn't sleep all night I was shaking and speaking in tongues for about 12 hours it was it was mad you think Lord what was that what is that and there are seasons where sometimes you have that sort of shaking and and the presence of God is really real I had the privilege of being with a lady recently, Jean Pickwick, who died uh, just after the Christmas period. Uh, and um, I, was, I had the privilege of being with her in, in those weeks leading up to her death. And uh, she was elderly, she was in her 90s, a wonderful woman of God in this parish. She prayed for the church here, prayed for us all, was part of um, St. Tom's congregation. And a week or so before she died, I was with her and I was just sort of sharing some bread and wine with her and we were talking about God's love. And she was saying how hard it is when you're facing the end. You have many regrets and many thoughts and many things that you wish you had done. But she said, but I know where I'm going. I know, I know where I'm going. And she said, it's strange in this season, the veil is so thin between heaven and earth. And as she said it, I could feel it. I could feel the presence of God. And there are seasons sometimes when it almost is that the veil between heaven and earth is thin. And the presence of God is so tangible that sometimes you can feel it. Sometimes you can sense it. Sometimes you're just aware of God's presence. I'm so thankful here at St. Matt's, often on Sunday nights, we've experienced that. Where just in the worship, there's real kind of holy moments where you almost... You almost don't want to breathe because you sense God there. Or there's a prophetic word that comes, or, or there's a supernatural healing, or there's signs and evidence of God's presence. And it's not about feeling. We're not talking about just simply human, rational feelings. We're talking about something far more deep than that. We're talking something spiritual. And there are seasons that God takes us through where his presence, his tangible presence, is really evident. And then maybe there's other seasons we go through, sometimes seasons of difficulty, seasons of struggling in the desert, perhaps, and like, like Jesus went through. And there are seasons we go through times of real peace and serenity, times of kind of just being by still waters in green pastures. And God takes us through seasons of blessing and recuperation. And so kind of the Christian journey isn't just sort of one level or one that's a sort of a line like that. It's often phases and seasons that we go through. <clears throat> but I sense that in 2016, one of the things that God is wanting to do is draw us back into a season of the Spirit, to encourage us personally to press after the things of the Spirit. 
And so the reading, one of the readings from the lectionary today is from Acts 8. It's a short verse. I'm going to read to you. Verse 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. That is one of these slightly intriguing passages in Scripture. And I don't want to make a whole big thing of the kind of theology of um, uh, second blessing or the uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. But clearly what happened here was there were people who very genuinely had given their lives to Jesus. Who very genuinely had had an encounter with God and knew that they needed him. And that was a great thing. And they'd been baptised in his name. But it was evident to the apostles when they arrived that there was something still a little bit missing and so they prayed for them. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Now the trouble is as soon as you start making a theology out of anything like this that you read, you get into trouble. Because when God does something in one person's life, you read it somewhere else and clearly something different, totally different is going on and it's a totally different scenario. But there is a sense here that sometimes we can at times have an encounter with God, but maybe not really get to grips with who is the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? And I want to talk a little bit about him tonight. The truth is we struggle often with the mystery of God, who God is anyway. I was saying this at St. Tom's. You know, it's hard enough to understand Jesus, and yet we have whole Gospels written about him, about his life, the way he taught, the type of person he was, the feelings that he felt. Fully human, he got hungry, he got angry, he got really cheesed off with his disciples. I think, you know, lots of smacked head moments. You can see that in the gospel when he was just like, seriously guys, still don't you get it? But he really loved them. We see a man full of grace and love and humility. One of the most glorious moments for me in in his life is when he reaches out to the woman caught in adultery. Who everyone else, all the men, all the religious leaders want to stone her. And he reaches out and he offers her life. Beautiful, the humanity, the love of Jesus. But it's hard because we also know that he was God and that's a hard mystery. So we can just about understand Jesus and we can kind of understand God the Father because even those of us maybe that haven't had brilliant fathers understand what a good father should be like. We understand something about fatherhood. But why is this about the Holy Spirit? When I grew up in church, I spent a season going to a, a very kind of traditional Vicar Dibley kind of Anglican church and, then, and it was often very old liturgy and they used to talk about the Holy Ghost. And if I'm honest, as a young teenager, they used to talk about the Holy Ghost and all I could think about was Scooby-Doo. Trying to work out, what. so who is this Holy Ghost kind of guy? Is he like Casper? You know, with a, like, a kind of a towel over his head, like a clot, you know... A, a blanket sheet over his head, this ghost that floats around being... Is it like something off Star Wars with the Force? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how on earth do I connect with him? And what does it mean for my life today? Well, as is often the case, when we struggle to grasp something, God is very gracious to us, and he wants to give us images, tangible things that help us understand the nature and character of God. Jesus was brilliant at that, wasn't he? I was saying this morning St. Tom's, he was such a good storyteller. He would paint a picture that people could understand, whether it was the story of the prodigal son or the man building his house on the rock or the sand. He would do something to try and help people grasp difficult concepts. And the Holy Spirit, right the way through scripture, there are symbols that help us 
relate, perhaps, or understand something about his nature. So when we think of the Holy Spirit, this is your moment to interact and wake up, what things in Scripture, what symbols are there to help us think about the Holy Spirit? Good, I'm glad you're all with me. Wind. Peter Jones. Only Peter Jones could come up with wind. It's a regular problem in the office. Let's just leave it there. Uh, (laughs) Fire. Yeah. Wind, fire. Dove. Living water. Sword. Whisper. Nice one. I do like a good chocolate bar. Whisper. Yeah. Several of us are thinking about chocolate bars. Yeah. Any others? Paraclete, one that comes alongside. Rumbling, hungry student, yep. Say again? Messenger. All these words and descriptions and things to try and help us, and each of them, you know, a sermon in themselves, aren't they? That help us understand his character, his nature, the way he comes. So, you know, sometimes he can come like a mighty rushing wind, and sometimes he can come like a whisper. And it's different, isn't it? And that's the nature of God, this sort of mystery that, you know, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, but also the Lamb of God. We have all these various images. I want to read this, the other reading from the lectionary from Luke 3, 15 to 16, and then 21, 22. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to tie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Those of us who have been Christians for a while may know the struggle where I think sometimes we we can get to the point where we we long to serve God, but often it can end up being in our own strength. And whether that's in mission or ministry or just life where we're trying to please him, the truth is when we try and do it in our own strength, we fail. It doesn't work. Jesus said that apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, I shared, I think it was at Pastor this week, uh, an image of a few years ago that came to me when I was talking about God wanting to help us. Uh, in our old fire in Bradford Road, we had this old, um, one of those kind of iron ranges from the 1800s, and it was a beautiful thing. We often used to have a fire in there at weekends, and, and I would kind of put the kindling in, and some newspaper at the bottom, and then a bit of kindling, and then a little bit of coal, and then some bigger sticks, and then some bigger logs. And I remember particularly Sammy used to be fascinated watching this thing roaring into life. And one Saturday afternoon, we'd been out on a cold walk. I remember really, uh, really visually. We came home, it was really cold, and I said to Sammy, we're going to have a fire. And he was like, Dad, can, Dad, can I help? He'd have probably been, I reckon he'd have been about f- probably five at the time. And so um, I kind of set it all up and had it there. And, and, and he'd watched me do this many, many times. And um, so I knelt by the fire and we lit it. And I said to Joe, I said, I said, on Wednesday, I said it was Joe, but it was actually Sammy. I said to Sammy, Sammy, you need to, you need to blow life into this fire. So Sammy got down on his knees, put his face near the grate, and went, and spat all over the fire. It sizzled, and all the kindling kind of was about to go out. I said, okay, try again. Try, spit less, blow more. Couldn't, couldn't do it. That's going to sound really good on the recording, by the way. I apologize for anyone listening. Um, 
And as he did that, I kind of said, oh, just try it. And he was, he was actually quite upset because this thing with the flames were getting lower and lower. It looked like he was going to go out. I said, try one more time. And as he leant forward, I just leant over his shoulder. And as he kind of went, I kind of went. And this fire began to roar. And his little face was like, yeah. And, and as I said on Wednesday to the pastor, it was one of those moments where just in a just seemingly insignificant thing, God can speak to you, can't he, in that moment. And as I leant over Sammy's shoulder and I blew, it was at a time when I was um, new ministries were developing. We were about to think about planting this church here. I was involved in student ministry and heading up worship. And it was a time when I was feeling quite tired in what I was doing and uncertain as to what God was calling us to. And as I blew over Sam's shoulder and blew onto this fire, I felt God say to me, and that's what you need to let me do in your life. That's what I long to do. Because the truth is we do our best, don't we? And we blow, but often a lot of our blow and our effort is kind of spit and sort of wind, really. But actually, we need the wind of God's Spirit to blow. And God the Father wants to join us in our lives, in our ministries, in our circumstances. And he brings his breath and he brings his life. We need more of God's spirit. I need more of God's spirit to be a better husband. I need more of God's spirit to be a better father. I need more of God's spirit to be a better friend. Even before I get to the whole pastoring, church leading thing, I definitely need more of God's spirit for that. I need more of God's spirit in every moment of my life. Not just for when I'm doing things, The truth is we all need more of God's Spirit, and he wants to join with us. The problem is in life, we're always looking for the quick fix, the easy easy ride, the quick win. I don't know if you saw last night's lottery, 66 million. I won't ask if any of you bought tickets for it. But what I did find out was that in the few hours leading up to the massive rollover lottery thing last night, they were selling tickets online, so much so that the online stuff all crashed. But they were selling 400 tickets a second in the hours leading up to it which says to me people are desperate thinking maybe this will be it maybe this will sort my life out and this kind of appetite for the quick fix now I'm not saying that 66 million wouldn't be helpful we could do a lot of roofs I'm looking for Mark he's going yeah yeah my ticket didn't come up Um, (laughs) but actually in life we often look for the shortcut the easy answer I've said this before, it's really interesting, an analysis was done with people who won the National Lottery, mega, mega buck winners, people who multi-millions, and they interviewed them over a period of months, and they asked what you know, great things they'd done with their money and things they'd struggled with, but there was one regret that was shared in common amongst most of the multi-million pound winners, and it was this, that they hadn't won more which is really sad, (laughs) and says to me, no matter how much you win, maybe I could have had more, because it doesn't always answer all the problems. J.D. Rockefeller on his deathbed, who was one of the first multi-millionaires, he was asked how much money is enough. His answer was, just a bit more. We often look for the quick fix, but actually what we need is God to meet us, God to provide for us, God to equip us, God to give us something much more than physical riches to sustain us and help us. There's nothing wrong with riches, and God's a God of blessing. But actually, if we, all we concentrate on is on the outward, and we neglect the inward, the inner man, the inner woman, then we're going to struggle. See, in this gospel message from Luke, the people were expecting and longing for the Messiah. They were hoping for this great Messiah to come, and they were waiting for him to come. And they were expecting probably some sort of powerful, feisty Messiah that was going to arrive and boot out the Romans. 
to change their political um, sphere, to change their economic fortunes. That's what they kind of wanted, someone to sort out the nation. And actually, John replies to their expectations by telling them, someone greater than me is coming. Don't look to me. I might look like I fit the bill. I'm a bit mad, a bit feisty, a bit crazy, but I'm not the Messiah. He's coming, and he's going to be very different from me. And he's going to come with fire and the Holy Spirit. I think the truth is we're shaped so often by society that we live in, by the world around us. The pressure of the world shaping us. Some of it can be good, a lot of it can be bad. And the world seeks to conform us and press us in and shape us down and mould us, to mould our thoughts through advertising, through media, politically, all sorts of different ways, emotionally, told how to feel, how to think, what's right, what's wrong. Moulded sexually in all sorts of ways. The sexualization of children. Image stuff. And so normal keeps changing. This is now normal. But actually now, now this is normal. And what was normal is not normal anymore. This is now normal because this is the way you should all think. This is the way you should all be. And everything keeps moving and it's really hard to know. Well, who are we in this? And where, how do we fit in as Christians? I was, um, Sarah was looking at a, 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 I was, Sarah was looking at a magazine in a newspaper article. It was always, it was about weight loss. And it was making her really mad. And I was like, what's going on? I started looking at it. And then it made me really mad. Because it was talking about, the heart of it was, unless you lose this amount of weight, then you're not a kind of a good person. You can never feel real worth or value. If you're overweight, then actually, you know, you're rubbish. You've got to lose weight. And then maybe you might begin to feel a bit better about yourself. Now, of course, losing weight is a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong in many situations. But it was the tone of this advert saying that you will only find true sense of worth and self. And others will only really accept you if you get down to the right size. And it was naming specifically what the right size was. And there was this pressure. It just felt, what, what is this saying about our identity, about how we like ourselves? You turn over a couple of pages and there's a big half-paid advert on plastic surgery. I took the details down for that. But it, you know, what are we saying about ourselves, our bodies, our hearts, our minds and who we are? And that true identity and true worth is found in all of those things. Because I don't think actually that's what we really, really, really crave. I think what we really crave is found in this verse when the Father speaks over the Son at baptism. Because what we really, really crave in humanity, I think, is to know who we are. And to know what we're for. What we are. And ultimately to know that we're really loved. God says at that moment of baptism and the Holy Spirit comes and brings this kind of living word, if you like. God says of Jesus, you are my son, the beloved. With you I'm well pleased. Romans 8, 14 says this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Papa. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, we're co-heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I love my kids more than life itself. 
They're amazing, they're beautiful, they're frustrating, they're irritating, they're a challenge, they're glorious, and I love them all individually. They're all so different. And from time to time, I'll grab one of my children, uh, and, you know, as dads often do, and I'll pin them down, and I'll, particularly with Sam, I'll grab him, and I'll, and I'll, I'll sort of start to squeeze him and hug him, and he's like, Dad, get off, Dad, get off, get off, get off, Dad. It's not cool. Get off, get off. And the more he says that, the more I squeeze him, and the more I try and pin him down, and I try and, and he's wriggling, and he's trying to kick, and I'm holding his legs and his arms. He's, get off, get off, get off. And I kind of go, I love you. Get off. <laughs> so not cool. I want to play on the Xbox. Get off. And I eventually, after about sort of 45 minutes or so, I eventually managed to get him to look me in the eyes, because I'm trying to find his eyes, because he's always looking away. And I was I love you, son. Sam, I love you. Eventually, after sort of an hour, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I know, I know, you love me, I get it. Usually by that point, he's laughing, laughing or crying, one of the two usually, usually laughing. And sometimes, actually, the truth is he needs that. We all need it, I need it. And sometimes, God needs to pin us down like that, because I know I really wriggle. I, I, I try and God tries to hold me in an embrace and speak to me and I'm just too busy or actually I feel uncomfortable, a bit unloved or a bit unlovable, a bit unworthy and God's trying to catch my gaze like this and I'm looking around elsewhere because I find it hard sometimes to meet the gaze of God because it's powerful, it's intense and sometimes it's quite unnerving when God looks you full in the eyes and says, you know what, I'm really proud of you, I love you it can often make us feel very uncomfortable because we think, who, me? I know what a scumbag I really am at times, Lord. I, I find it hard to believe that you really love me. And God says, I know all about you, but I do love you. See, Jesus was perfect, and it's easy for us to think, well, Jesus was perfect, of course God loved him. But you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are a co-heir with Christ. That same inheritance, what God says of him, God says of you, you're a co-heir with Christ. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my beloved, the apple of my eye. And I'm well pleased with you. Because it's not about what you've done. Because at this point, Jesus hadn't actually really done anything in ministry. He was just there. He was just loved as the son. I love my kids not simply for what they do. I love them for who they are. Because they're my children. The Father, I think, wants to help us. The Holy Spirit wants to help us in that. Because with all of this pressure pressing in from the outside, God wants to fill us with something that pushes back. It's a bit like an inflatable. You know, so often we feel pressured and squeezed and compressed. You and I need to hear the words of the Father that say, You are my son, you are my daughter. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. You're my beloved. I want to speak to you about your future, that you have a future and a hope that's secure in me. And even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to be afraid because I'm with you and my rod and my staff will protect you. You need to know that God has every day ordained for you, written in his book of life. You need to know that God is a God who is there. He is Emmanuel. He's not abandoned you. See, I've written your name on the palm of my hands. Your name's ever before me. We need the words of the Spirit to inflate us, to push back against the pressure of the world that longs to overrule and overwhelm us, the words of the enemy. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Fill us, inflate us, form us from the inside out. 
and help you understand who you are, what you're made for, that you've been made by a creator God who loves you, who forms you, who knows you fully and still really loves you. And someone who wants to give you the power to be all that you're made to be, designed to be. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm just going to play these videos as I draw to a close these testaments. Good to, to hear stories of God's grace by spirit and um, I know many of us here, there's stories all around. Sarah's just got a word she's going to share as we draw to a close. Um, just when Tim was talking about embers, fire, um, I was just reminded also of another story in our house in Bradford Road. I hope my mum doesn't mind me sharing this. But my mum is really good at saving things and she doesn't like any waste. And one day, we'd gone out and she decided that she was going to take the cool logs off the end of a fire and put the bits of log that looked like they still had a bit of wood on them on the side so that we could use them again. And when we came back, there'd been a fire in the kitchen because she'd put the logs into the coal bucket and the logs were cool enough to handle and the whole coal bucket had set on fire and the kitchen had got smoke all over it. But actually, I'm really glad that happened. (laughs) Because I think God wants to say that some of you might feel a little bit like those logs. It's been a long time since this happened to me. Really? The Holy Spirit? Really? And you're feeling a bit flat. And I just think God says, I see stuff that isn't as if it was. And I see things that aren't yet as if they were. And so with his creator heart, and with the little warmth that's in you, he can do amazing things. Even if you're in, a, in the log, as the log was in the coal bucket, there was no ignition there, there was no light, it was just black coal. And I think God wants to speak to us and say he wants to set stuff on fire. Uh, in a good way. <laughs> um, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and the spirit and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So maybe God wants to breathe on you and breathe his life and his breath and cause spark to come again. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from within. Every Christian, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Christ. So if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God that's caused you to come alive in Christ. But not all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, those that have been filled often leak. 
I know I need more of God's Spirit daily. The actual literal translation of, in Scripture is go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a once in a lifetime experience. It's a present continuous tense to go on being filled. So I want to pray for us in the context of, worship, uh, of communion that we can receive more of God's Spirit. We're going to break bread. Is this going to collapse if I lift it? Or will I? Can you grab the end, John? We're going to share bread and wine. We do this really simply. If you know and love Jesus, I want to invite you to come forward. And we're going to um, have a couple of stations. We'll have one on this side, one on this side. And I want you to invite you to come forward. If you've got children, the children are going to come down. You're welcome to come and share uh, with us families in bread and wine as a family if you want to do that. And as we come to receive communion, I want to encourage you to just dwell and wait. Um, There was a a, a word that was spoken earlier. Um, Hayden came and shared this word with me. He sensed uh, uh, people coming to the altar. That sometimes we come forward to the kind of spiritual altar. We come forward to Jesus with all our weights and our burdens, the things that hold us down. And, And actually... God wants to take them from us. And we kind of begin to offer them to him, our worries, our anxieties, our struggles, our, our, our prayers, our longings, our desires, our shame. And we begin to offer them to him, but we kind of wiggle a bit. A bit like when my son kind of doesn't want to quite make eye contact with me and he doesn't want to kind of be held down. And God's saying, oh, just wait. Will you please yield to me? Will you truly give me these things? And then as you go away, don't pick them up and take them with you, but leave them at the cross. So the invitation in communion as you come to receive bread and wine is you come to meet with Jesus, you come to receive from him, you come to feed on him. And that's a great physical opportunity to actually lay it down, everything you're feeling before God. To say, Jesus, I really want you. I want more of your spirit. Will you feed me? Will you satisfy me? And actually lay them at Jesus' feet. We're going to come and put a cross on the floor up here. And as you come forward and to take bread and the wine, you may want to just pause at the cross and actually, in your mind, lay those things down that you need to offer to Jesus right now. And as you go and take bread and wine, leave them at the cross. Leave them in the hands of Jesus, those nail-pierced hands. Receive from him. Jesus was betrayed he took bread he sat and ate with his friends and he held up the one loaf and he took it and he said this is my body he broke it and said this is my body broken for you as often as you come together eat this bread in remembrance of me my body broken for you And on the same night, he took the cup of wine and he offered it to his friends and said, this wine is the blood of the new covenant, my blood which will be shed for you and for many for the redemption of my people, for the remission of their sins. That though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be washed whiter than the snow. This blood, the blood of the new covenant, will cleanse you. Drink it as often as you gather together in remembrance of me. So Father, with this bread and this wine, we remember your great sacrifice. Remember your being sent to earth by the Father. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. 
And that Jesus, as we look at you high and lifted up on the cross, you bearing the brokenness of the world, our sin, our shame, our failure, our greed, our pain, you were wounded so that we might be healed. You took our punishment so that we could be forgiven and set free. And Jesus, you conquered sin and death and you rose again. And so we follow a resurrected, risen Saviour. And our hope is in you. And we know one day, Lord, that you will return again to claim your bride as your own. Until that day, we remember your coming, your great sacrifice. And we proclaim you as our Lord and Saviour. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Renew us in our passion and faith of you. Fill us with words of life. May we hear your words from heaven by your spirit. That we are your sons and daughters. We are your beloved, the apple of your eye. And that with us you are well pleased. May we bring you pleasure, we pray, in all we say and do. For Jesus' sake. Amen.